If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people safety and horse welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. Today's guest is Sam Fasher. Sam's an eventing specialist, competitor, coach, and coach educator, as well as a trainer, and he's been doing this professionally for the last 20 years. So we should have some great insights today from Sam. How are you today, Sam? Yeah, good, thanks, Gwyneth. Good. Sam, you know we normally start off with a quote, so a favourite quote that could have inspired you or influenced you with horses or one that you use when you're teaching. Have you got one for us? Yeah, I, I think for me the one that I would refer to most and the one that's really been probably one I've taken through the whole career is one from Nuno Oliveira where he states that the horse only resists out of weakness. For me that was always a big one. I mean, I, I think it made a lot of sense at the time, but a lot of the language we use in terms of training horses and riding horses doesn't always go that way. You know, we personify or make a lot of things, you know, of the way we think the horse thinks and, you know, maybe the resistances are because the personality defects or the fact that they're just not very nice. But mm -hmm. I, I think we've always got to remember that the horses themselves are usually showing some sense of weakness and then shaping the schooling around that ideology makes a big difference in terms of the end result. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you, obviously you teach your students out of that ideology. Yes. Yeah, I try to. I think being a competitive rider, it's tricky, isn't it? Because there's always going to be times where it doesn't go perfectly. Mm. And as a competition rider over the long term, I realised that as a young man and, you know, still now, often my ambition will exceed my ability. And unfortunately, the horses, uh, the ones that are in the sandwich there in terms of competition. So it's, I'm always very grateful towards my horses as well. I, I think that's really important okay. to, to always respect them. I think that's very humble of you to speak about it like that. I think that's really good, you know, and recognising that sometimes we are a bit ambitious and sometimes it doesn't go so well, but, you know, no competitor goes well 100% of the time. And I think that's just part of the learning, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I think it's really important for all competitors to realise that eventually we're going to go there and we're going to make mistakes and have a miss. And I mean, I always try and say to my students that, you know, it's funny, they sort of think they're most like other professionals when things are going well and they're winning and they feel like things are great. But mm -hmm. actually, in reality, when they've been publicly humiliated or when it didn't go the way they wanted or they wake up in the morning feeling like they're not good enough to do it, that is probably more like most professionals feel day in, day out. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, it's getting yeah. comfortable with feeling that you can always improve. Yes, I yes. think George Morris said to us that when you think you're the best and you're good enough, that's probably when you should stop. And I think he had a good point there. <laughs> you know, I, I think that sort of pride and... Uberus, I think it's, it's a lot more to do with the mid-level of competition rather than the top level yep. 
I think that for riders that are coming up the grades, it's always important to remember that those trials and tribulations are, are much more part of the sport than, <laughs> yes, <laughs> than being yes, able to overcome sure. them. For sure, for sure, yeah. I want to talk a bit about your early years because you're from a horse family. Do you have memories? What are your earliest memories? I'm sure you don't remember probably the first time you were on a horse, but what were your early memories as you were growing up and riding? I think some of my fonder memories are probably chasing around my brother and my sisters and cousins on ponies and probably trying to hit each other with sticks and galloping through dams and stuff. We were all pretty wild back then. It was. Did you play cowboys and Indians? Yes, yes, a lot. <laughs> And every derivative of that. And we, it was pretty rough and ready back then. They sort of left us to our own devices. The idea was the horses would teach us something and that our parents would go off and pursue their own riding at that stage. And they were, <laughs> they were pretty light on in terms of teaching us. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I, I think it, it leads you to be quite resilient as a rider and you learn good balance skills. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes the hours in the saddle, sometimes that helps just to develop the confidence and um you know, it's just say the balance, the resilience. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And yeah, as you say, the balance and resilience and time with horses is very important. I mean, it's a very, as you know, Glenn, it's a very complicated sport. And so, you know, I, I think the more time you've got assessing horses and working with their personalities, the better, yep. the better you be. Yep. Now, Sam, did you come out of school and go, right, I'm going to be a professional with horses? Did you do anything else in between? How did that all work out? Not really. I came out and started university, uh, did my first year of uni and I was working in bars and I sort of probably thought I was going to be a bit of a banker. Did a philosophy degree with a few economics units and, and it was an interesting time in my life. I had a lot of fun. We probably did a bit too much drinking, but I enjoyed it. I was still riding before that, but I wasn't really riding during that. And eventually, my brother actually was working at Centennial Park as an instructor, and I was sort of looking around for work to do in between days at university, and so I ended up there. It was actually Tibby Barber, who's still a great judge and a really good friend, who got me a ride, uh, my first professional ride, actually, with Cassie Ward. Mm on a horse called Cabernet and that sort of started it all for me because it was this amazing warm blood horse and before that you know we'd had nice horses but nothing quite that nice and so (laughs) being able to school the horse and play around with her a lot for Cassie you know Mm -hmm. and being paid for the privilege was yeah it was pretty exciting to me at the time and I think that started to change my view of what I do. Mm For people who are thinking about starting a career with horses, you know, and you've got to start at a low level, not everyone sort of steps straight onto a great horse as a professional trainer as their first job with horses, but what sort of core skills or character traits do you think they need to have to have a career with horses? I think you need to be fairly resilient. (laughs) I think that's number one, but I also think that you need to enjoy the sport, you know, and enjoy being around horses. For me, I've always enjoyed competition and training and so overcoming the other things and I I really like the people. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the more you like in the job, the easier it is just to keep doing it and the more fun it is. And I've always been lucky. I've had good people around me and not always the best horses. I think I started, I bought my first horse for under $1,000 and it was pretty terrible. And a lot of the horses after that were... Not the most exceptional horses I've ever ridden, but 
you know, I really had to learn to figure out, especially in the competition ring, that sometimes a horse, you know, is misunderstood. And a lot of the really great ones that came not long after that that I had were, you know, you really, if you get to the bottom of it and write it slightly differently than the way other people have written it, then you can really get exceptional results. Because some horses just really want to do well, but often they might have the wrong rider or trouble with the training program and it's not catered to them. Whereas I think for anyone wanting to develop in training and riding and teaching people, I think really finding what a horse needs out of a training program rather than what we can enforce on it is really important. I think that was a key thing that you said there, you know, what a horse needs rather than what we can enforce on it. Yeah, and for me it's just that sense of gratitude that I think for the horses, whatever they do, and sometimes it won't be to our liking, it won't be either the most comfortable ride or it won't, you know, in the early stage of its career, it might be a bit strong or a bit pushy or a bit difficult on the flat or to handle, but I think sometimes we can overcome these things with a bit of gratitude and definitely sympathetic training, Yep. you know, can really produce an amazing horse out of yes. those things. Yes, yes. Because yep. they're largely, from a competition perspective, a lot of the competition horses are quite quirky because they're, you know, they're all quite a way above average. Mm-hmm. So I, I think learning to deal with that and learning to hone those horses in the right direction, once they enjoy the work and they enjoy sort of get a feeling for what you want to do and it feels good to them, then I, I feel it really can change a horse quite dramatically. You said earlier about having some good people around you. Who who have you got? What sort of lessons have you learned from having those good people around you? I think I had my parents early on who were always a really good focus and they were big on books. And so, you know, I guess that started my interest. And mm. I definitely when I first started as coming back into as a professional, I really read a lot and tried to do a lot and probably tried to do too much of everything. But (laughs) I think that was good, you know. I I think really, again, getting that edge is being orthodox and doing things the correct way, but sometimes we embrace a sort of cultural orthodoxy, which is, you know, from where we've come as a culture, as a nation. And I think those things can sometimes hold us back, whereas Mm. there's a lot of books out there and there's a lot of similarities between systems, but I think that what we're seeing overseas with the great riders is that the riding's just getting better and better out of sight. Mm. I I think we've got to to really know all those different systems and ways to do things just a little more progressive rather than just doing things just because, well, that's how our parents did it and that's what they were reacting to with the time before, you know. I mean, when I was young, I think everyone wanted to ride super light in the English seat and then as I got older everyone wanted to ride like a German and sit way behind the vertical and you know I I think these things are great in terms of progression I think we should all aim for change and constant development but I think sometimes we can end up slightly left of centre or right of centre in terms of an absolute bullseye and mastering the sport Mm -hmm. I think that sometimes you get to have that drive to go into things and really research a fair bit yourself and then you know a lot of those great coaches like I had a lot of help from George Sanna and Brett Parbury and you know they were always very helpful to me but also travelling coaches like George Morris and more recently Stephen Peters has really helped on the flat 
And I, I think you get a lot more out of those guys if you know where they're coming from. And it's just that that store of information is so important for us to learn and something I'm always trying to get young riders to embrace a bit more. Yep, yep. What about horses who've influenced you? You know, are there any standout horses that have really taught you a lot? Yeah, I, I think my first one, that, well, I think they all teach us. Mm. a bit and they teach us as best we can and sometimes we're not the best or the most receptive learners <laughs> in my early 20s I don't think I was super receptive as a learner from every horse I had but I, I think I had one horse who was particularly good called World News who was a little chestnut who I think we, we bought him for a thousand dollars from a lady who basically he'd been trained as a dressage horse and then he bucked a few people off there and then he'd gone hacking and he used to do two laps at a hacking ring and then run back to the truck and basically the woman would cry and put him on the truck and take him home. And so that was up until he was about eight and a half, nine when I met him. And so you can imagine the sort of bratty delinquent that he was. And he was, like he would, he would do everything he could to get out of doing anything, like mm-hmm. he was completely bratty. I think what he taught me was, like we were talking about before, is that there's a certain thing with each horse. And for him, it was so much with the balance. He was a really hot little horse. You know, you couldn't just start with a normal German training scale of maintaining the rhythm. I found the French training scale of starting with balance worked exceptionally well with him because if that was ever compromised, then he would get really offended really quickly. Okay. On the other hand, I followed that and it took me a good six months to work him out. But once I sort of adopted a system that suited him, I really felt like he was the cleanest horse I've ever ridden. And unfortunately, it never did do a fantastic dressage test because he just didn't like it very much. Uh And a lot of people said that I should keep eventing and keep working it. But I thought, well, he's a pretty exceptional show jumper and... And he went on, I think, within a year and a half or two years. And, you know, he won the, this FEI challenge thing that John Valance was running at the time. And that was a pretty good deal because it was sort of a worldwide thing. And he placed really well internationally. But it was just an event that we went over the weekend over three different competitions. And then he won, you know, a few futurities and a big one at Sydney, which was a huge win for us at the time. Mm-hmm. And so there was a bit of money involved, and really I hadn't had much to do with show jumping before that. So it really, it really brought us up in the world. And you know, he, he he taught me a lot about that a clean horse is a clean horse, and yeah. sometimes you've got to train them correctly. But sometimes correctly for them is not necessarily the first thing that you know. <laughs> you know, yeah. you've got to be a bit adaptable. But if you would do adapt to them and you have a, be a bit grateful for what they are good at, then they become absolutely exceptional. Yep. And he still is. Mm-hmm. He's 20 and I think we sort of retired him because he was a bit old and he didn't want to do the meter 50s or anything like that plus anymore. He was just wasn't loving it. But we left him off for a year and then he was jumping around in the paddock and he always watch the truck go out and just be off it, but, you know, just so annoyed that he was getting left at home because mm-hmm. he was such a show pony and he really yeah. learned, he just loved to be watched, you know. So we went from this horse that was actually quite frightened of going out and quite nervous and then he realised that he could be a bit of a show pony in the ring and look amazing and everyone would come up and pat him and say hi to him and, <laughs> you know, then he never wanted to stay away from shows. So yes, yeah. It was quite a nice flip. 
Okay. But anyway, we sort of, 14-year-old's got him now and she rides him up at Tamworth and, yeah, they're having a great time together. Oh, that's good. That's good. And the results you've got from him, was that your proudest moment or you've got something else you want to share with us? I think I'm probably pretty proud of where we are now just because I've built, you know, in terms of the relationships with owners and the horses, mm-hmm. I've probably got the best horses I've had. So I, I think I'm pretty proud of what we've accomplished so far and we had a great year this year with a number of really good placings and wins at pretty high competition so it was yeah I I think they all make you a little proud once you produce them they you know you're proud of the horse they are and the horse they've become and I think that it's nice to get that when you go in a competition and you know we're all wanting to win all the time that's what we do it for but I, I think I'm most proud of the horse's each individually for, for very many different reasons. It's mm, mm, mm. a lot of pride in your voice then when you talk about, you know, you're sort of searching for a proud moment, but it, it seems like there's lots of them. Yeah, there are. And, I mean, it's, it's really nice to stand up there and get a trophy and get the ribbons and, you know, but honestly at home those little things is, keep you going as well, you know, those little improvements they make every day. And, mm, mm, yeah. Mm. What about, you know, because you talked earlier about challenges and, you know, what can happen. What do you think your biggest challenge has been? I think for anyone in this sport, it's tricky. It's it's slightly different for everyone. I mean, for a lot of people, time and money is probably the biggest ones. Like, I think that's, (laughs) it's hard. It's a hard sport in that respect because you can hone your skills as best you can, but you've also got to have well, as we talked about, an above-average horse. I think Prue Barrett said that to me first. You've yeah. got to have above-average, Sam. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I think that was probably hard in the initial stages, and I think a lot of young riders these days and before, you know, I think it's tough until you get those horses under you where you can really prove you can do it. And until then, most riders think they can do it pretty well, mm-hmm. but I, yeah. I think it's hard that... A lot of riders don't get the chance to prove it and it's just tricky. But I think what you do learn from riding other horses is that you can build those skills anyway. And I think learning to be competitive in the ring and dealing with those normal human things like, you know, a bit of public humiliation here or there or things not going the way you want them to and then building and always trying to improve yourself and getting better, I think is probably the major one. Mm -hmm. I, I think that the time we'd always love as riders i'd love more have more time to teach more and to ride more and i'd love to have more money but in the end i think those things aren't totally necessary yep i think that resilience and always improving is more what it's about and i think certainly learning to understand that Uh that was that's tricky (laughs) yes 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 what do you think the lesson is that you teach the most you know if you think about the lessons and you you know, you might get a new rider that comes in and you think, oh, here, here we go again. I've just got to teach this rider this because it's important or it's a common fault, common mistake that you see riders make, even if you're out competing. I want to talk about the mistake, but also how to fix it. Sure. Well, basically, I think technically, uh, the technical things do vary with various riders. And the major one, I think, for the competition ring is always teaching riders to trust their own intuition. I think that you know, really learning to trust that first thought you have in terms of what's going wrong and what you should do to fix it or when you should stop a session, when you should start a session, you know, when you're ready in the warm-up to go into the ring. I think 
learning to follow that first intuition is really important. I think that a lot of riders have a second and a third thought and will often try and do all three. And that then shows in the ring when they're away from the coach because, you know, they'll make three decisions instead of one. And I really think that most, for most riders, when they're learning to master the sport, it's really important just to focus up because even if that first thought turns out to be wrong, at least you, you can learn and then have another first thought next time because you know that that one hasn't worked. Whereas, yeah, I think if you've got three, it becomes easy to either deflect or you know maybe just think that the problem was the choosing not the decision or the problem was someone else's at the worst case scenario the coaches or your parents or you know the good lord above who knows but yeah I, I think that that sort of deflection doesn't really help you whereas I think that it's much better yeah if learning to make calls and stick with them what, what I, I want you to do just expand on that a bit and give me an example of the type of decision that someone might make you know you talked about yeah just just the type of decision that someone could make when they're competing okay well generally most people will have a certain type of problem and rebalancing can often be a problem mm -hmm. coming out of a corner okay, and so yep. especially when you're riding fences sometimes you can come out of a corner and feel like the horse has a little wobble and you might think oh well you know the horse is perhaps running and pushing through the bridle and running at the fence your first intuition might be to slow the horse down mm -hmm. and then you might have another thought to think oh well, now i'm going too slowly i might speed up yep and then your third thought is oh i just don't know what's happened and i can't see anything in terms of distance i'm just going to totally free up and yep. just allow the horse to do something yeah um, yep so that would be an example of three different decisions which then usually leads to a chip or the horse stumbling and you've sort of thrown away everything. Yeah. Whereas if you just had a said, well, this is a rebalancing problem, stayed together and then said, well, you know, now I'm a little short, but keep him together and be a little more active, but stay together, stay with that first thought. Mm -hmm. Or even, you know, I'm training at home, I'm jumping courses of fences or grids and then all of a sudden you start to think, oh, I think he's getting a bit tired. I think it's probably good to end it. And then you have the second thought, oh, but he's got to go to the three-day in four weeks, so I really want to make this a hard session, so I better really, you know, double down and make him do this a bit. And then you have another thought after that, and, you know, then you come out of the session with the horse clagged and mm. not confident and feeling like it's done too much. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to learn to follow that first intuition. And even if that is to do more, well, at least you'll learn <laughs> after, as we've all done, if you do too much, well, yes. <laughs> the horses will teach you. Yes. There's a, a comeuppance for that. Yep. <laughs> oh, hang on a sec. Let me interrupt to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at onlinehorsecollege.com. If you have a look at the flexible options, there's online theory with practical components that can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website again is onlinehorsecollege.com. Thanks. That was really good the way you expanded on that because the listeners are coming from a big variety. You know, while some are experienced riders that might understand the way you talked about it first about going with intuition, now that you've expanded on it and given a couple of examples, I think that brings a wider understanding into what you meant. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, and I think we can sometimes get caught up in technical aspects, whereas really those are the things that we're polishing day in, day out. Mm, mm. Whereas I think our mental prep and making sure we're 
we're ready to do the job correctly yeah. and have that competitive attitude is, is really important to cultivate as well. Okay. Sam, have you got a book that you can recommend for our listeners? Um, there's a lot of books, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think that any book is is really good. I think that even those nice picture books that they make these days with lots of photographs and not so many words are great. Mm-hmm. But for me, the Gymnasium the Horse is a great book. It's not as pretentious as it sounds. It's by a guy from called Steinbrecht, who's German. I'm probably not pronouncing that well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's more of an older school book, but it uh, it's amazingly accessible. But I think, you know, Wilhelm Muser, Writing Logic, Anthony Paulman, Training Show Jumpers, George Morris, I, I think they're fantastic books. It's interesting, when I started my career, I used to always flick to the end and want to know how to do Flying Changes or Piaf Passage or Half Pass or mm-hmm. how to jump around a Grand Prix course, you know, whereas these days I'm always stuck reading the first two chapters again because yep. I think yep, yep. <laughs> you're always trying to polish down on the more fundamental understanding. Yes, yes. Which makes those uh, higher order movements work well. I'm not saying that's the wrong way to go about it. Uh, I just think it's it's funny the way we usually, I'm not sure if that's true with most people, <laughs> but it was certainly true for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think reading the first few chapters of any book, it would be more beneficial than reading the middle or the end. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yep. But, you know, you learn that, don't you? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think it's also good to be ambitious. I've got a lot of young riders who occasionally push too hard and go against my advice and you know I, I think as a coach it's very important that we're not overly critical of that because mm-hmm. I think as competitors you know you want them to be pushing you want them to be desiring to do more and yep. you know as long as they come back apologize to their horse and do the requisite reschooling <laughs> to get them back up and going then you know mistakes are fine yep. I, I think sometimes in this sport we can be a bit too harsh on mistakes, whereas really, when I talk to other professionals, there's there's no mistake that I've made or currently making that they're not aware of or haven't done themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's much more of uh, the stamp of mastery than anything else. I think this view that somehow, sometimes we read the magazines and we think that top riders are, you know, gods and goddesses who live on another planet and, you know, <laughs> have so much better lives and that's why they're so much better. Whereas really just adding up a few years of sometimes brutal and crushing failures can actually lead somewhere quite good mm. in the long term. Mm. As long as you understand them and that's where I think all those books, any any book would help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, Sam, you, you talked about, you know, you seemed a bit excited earlier on. You talked about, you know, the owners you've got, the horses you've got. What are you looking forward to now? Uh, I think we're looking forward to getting, I've got two two star horses and I'm sort of looking forward to getting them to three star early this year mm-hmm. and pushing past that to probably some overseas competitions if, if we can. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, it's an exciting time. We've got some really good horses and really good owners around to support us. So it's, it's, it's really good to have. Good, good. Now, can you sum up your philosophy into a lesson today for our listeners? I think basically, you know, I think we touched on it earlier where, you know, it's good to be dogmatic, but I think, and it's good to have a system because if you throw everything all at once in an unsystematic way at every horse, then it's going to be a mess. Mm -hmm. It is a discipline and it is important to follow steps in terms of 
just like baking your cake to produce a horse. But not every horse is the same in terms of personality. So I think my philosophy would be that you ride the horse for its natural. It's it's yeah. There's, there's things that it does that it has no control over. I think we're all put down on this earth at one extreme or another. Some of us are a little hot-headed. Some of us are a little cold and take a while to get started in the morning. And I think horses are exactly the same. And I think sometimes it's very important to tailor the system like we were talking about, you know. I think the Germans had a breeding program that bred in rideability and sometimes quieter, slightly, you know, more of a duller horse in years past. Yep. And the French had very hot, goey horses that were, you know, quite sparky, certainly the opposite of dull. I think what we've got these days is a whole mix. I mm-hmm. think the warm blood breeding's just incredible. And I think the thoroughbreds are still a really big part of the sport of eventing, that's for sure, and show jumping. But uh, I think that we've then got to tailor the training scale to fit the horse rather than just think that somehow training scales that are fit for particular countries on a national level are going to fit every individual horse. Mm -hmm. I mean, these days it's just I've got much better results from varying that. So, yeah, I think certainly picking a system is important with each and every horse, but then tailoring it to their own personality and needs because I find a lot like adults, you know, mastering anything for a horse brings them back to a centre where they're capable of both extremes. I think that is mastering anything, and that's the nice thing about a horse, you know, the, the hot horse will get sparkier as they go along and get more energy in their work and the dull horse will hopefully get sparkier and get more energy in their work and the sparky horse will get quieter, more malleable and, you know, more supple and easier to work and more submissive in their work. So Mm -hmm. I I think that no matter what extreme they start at, I think, yeah, fitting a system to them that works makes a big difference in terms of the end results. And I think if we're talking about competition, it's really just really going for excellence because... I couldn't tell you what Shane's doing now. I'm sure he's on his arena and I couldn't tell you what Stuart's doing, but I know they're pushing themselves. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I think we've all got to aim for the best we can give. Yep, yep. All right, that's good, Sam. Um, how can people contact you? Usually mobile Yep, uh, is the best. Um, emails are tricky, but I, I will answer them, but not super regularly. So... <laughs> Yeah, usually my mobile phone. Okay. Should I Good. say the number? You can say the number. We'll also have it available on horsechats.com slash Sam Fasher. But I think say the number, say the email, and um, if people miss getting that, they can go to the website and get it from there. Great. So it's samfasher at gmail.com. But the best way to contact me is through text or a call to 0404017632. Brilliant. All right, Sam, brilliant talking to you today. Um, I look forward to talking to you again sometime in the future and thanks very much for everything you've brought in. You know, you've certainly give people a lot to think about and I particularly like the way that you said find out what the horse needs rather than what we can enforce on it. Yeah, well, thanks, Chris. It was a very nice chat. Good. Good to talk to you. All right, talk to you again sometime soon, Sam. Good to talk to you too. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352.
Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.